This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Min Dariwal. And welcome to The Loop. One May afternoon this past spring, violence came to Edmonton's Chinatown. Hung Trang and Ban Huang worked in the area for decades. The two men were fatally beaten in unprovoked attacks on the same street. Six months later, Chinatown is still trying to recover and figure out how to protect their community. And there are conversations happening across the city about how to tackle the challenges this community is facing. So this week, we are digging into Chinatown. Later on, I'm going to take you on a walk with me. I met up with someone who lives in the area and loves it, and he showed me his Chinatown. Uh, But first, CBC reporter Wallace Snowden has been on this story since the very beginning. Thank you for being here, Wallace. Thanks. So take me back. Uh, What was the initial fallout from these homicides? Well, as you mentioned, on May 18th, these two men were killed, Hong Trang, Ben Huang. They had worked in the district for decades, and they were fatally beaten just hours apart uh, on the same block. And these attacks were described as unprovoked. So Mm -hmm. the homicides themselves were really quite shocking. But the controversy escalated. So shortly after the killings, I started digging into Justin Bone's court record, the accused in the killings. And I realized that RCMP had actually dropped him off in the city unsupervised just three days before the attacks. And this was a clear contravention of his bail conditions that essentially barred him from being in the city. And so that raised a lot of questions about police involvement and enforcement in the case. And it just became a reckoning for these longstanding issues in Chinatown. People felt like um, their confidence in the city and police had really been shaken. Um, some people even described Chinatown as as a dumping ground. Yeah. Um, so it really became a catalyst for a bigger conversation about the community. Uh, advocate Han Leong with the Chinatown Transformation Society says the homicides really galvanized those frustrations in the community. That we had two of our beloved community members die that had to signal a real urgency for not just the city of Edmonton, but the province and everyone else that lives in this beautiful city that we call Edmonton, that it was kind of a wake-up call, Mm. um, that this problem had gone out of hand. A lot of the businesses had breaking points over and over and over and over. Um, I think what the the deaths had marked um, was that there was a need and a cry for help. So Wallace, how how was that cry for help answered? Well, I think it's fair to say that it was felt across the province in a different way than we'd seen before. So Chinatown was was suddenly sort of top of mind at City Hall and the legislature. Um, shortly after the killings, the Justice Minister, Tyler Shandro, issued the city of Edmonton an ultimatum to clean up crime in the core. And he, he referenced the homicides at that time. And so the city and police did pledge to take action. More police officers were immediately dispatched to the core of Edmonton, not just Chinatown, but the city also invested new funding on private security and helping businesses out with street cleanup, also housing and revitalization. The city also drafted this Chinatown safety plan, so a long-term strategy uh, to help the community thrive. And, And part of that, of course, was a promise to address that centralization of social agencies that we have in in the neighborhood. Um, And all of this, of course, was aimed at helping this commercial district really thrive again. Yeah. So a lot of changes and potentials and promises, really. Mm -hmm. What did you hear from community members about everything that happened? It's it's mixed. Um, I, I don't think it's a secret that Chinatown has a lot of complex social issues sort of on display on the streets there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there you know is a lot of encampments. We're talking about a thousand encampment calls since May. Uh, crime rates are elevated. You know there is more police on the streets, more security patrols, um, but the crime rates remain high. The number of homeless people has surged. And for people like Roman Lau, who I spoke with, not much has changed day to day. Um, he runs his salon Roman Purple for decades, right in the heart of Chinatown. He's faced vandalism, theft, and he knew the victims of the homicides. I mean, they were neighbors. Yeah. Um, so these days there are more police on the streets. He sees that enhanced police presence. But the disorder for him has continued. He no longer feels safe in the neighborhood. He doesn't feel like his clients are necessarily safe in the neighborhood. And he says that he just feels that there's mental illness, drug trafficking on the streets, and, and a lot of addiction issues as well. Sometimes they want, they're hungry for the drugs. They would do something crazy. They hit my window, break my window, take my shampoo. For what? It's, I think it's no point to walk in Chinatown right now. I tell my customer, stop your car at my front door, come in, finish the haircut, and go away. Some people call me after the 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 two person get killed, I give you so many calls. Are you safe, Roman? Are you, are, do I safe to come here for a haircut? I don't know how to answer her. I had a chance to uh, go on a walk along in Chinatown uh, about a month ago, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I hear the frustration in uh, that uh, person's voice, and I can just imagine that other businesses are, are equally as frustrated. Absolutely. I mean, Roman is a good example. He's been there for years, so he's no stranger to the disorder. But, you know, even when he's open, he keeps his doors locked. Um, a lot of community uh, businesses there are keeping things shuttered and their, their doors locked during regular business hours, which is not really a, a normal thing right, yeah. right. Um, to be having to do that during uh, daytime hours. So many businesses in the area feel neglected and that these issues have been left essentially at their doorstep for them to handle alone without that necessary support. Um, Holly Ma, she's chair of the Chinatown and Area Business Association. So she represents a lot of the merchants in the area and, and she's spoken out numerous times about the concentration of social agencies in the area and and the burden that that eventually places on businesses. Um, Most recently, she spoke at City Hall. She was there um, among a a bunch of different groups that they're fighting this proposal that would see Boyle Street Community Services move uh, two blocks north, right into the heart of Chinatown proper. And she says this is just too much, that it's going to be a breaking point for the community. She says this is not a NIMBY problem, that no neighborhood should be asked to essentially function as a shelter district. So, um, and I think she really unpacks those frustrations while here she is at City Hall. What was once considered a nuisance is now lethal violence. We have gone from cleaning occasional urine and feces to picking up needles and now scrubbing blood off the sidewalks. Sometimes our shopkeepers suffer violence, sometimes the homeless suffer violence. Our association members suffer property damage regularly, experience theft regularly. We get bear sprayed and threatened. Entire businesses have been destroyed by arson. The level of violence that we face is unacceptable. It really feels like Chinatown is at a really important crossroads, right, of all of these social issues coming together. Mm -hmm. It did feel to me sometimes like it was a a case study in the issues not only for for Chinatown, but some of the complex social issues that we just have in Edmonton, Mm -hmm. period. Um, 
but it is interesting that there is a pattern. Um, Chinatowns across the country have faced similar challenges over the years and decades. These heritage districts um, are often marginalized. Uh, Many Chinatown advocates here uh, in the city actually attended a virtual conference uh, just recently, and I tuned in as as well. It's called uh, Saving Canada's Disappearing Chinatowns. Mm. So it was a whole national conversation from Chinatown advocates from across the country talking about these similar challenges that they're facing. And they've been neglected, marginalized. They're particularly vulnerable to gentrification and even expropriation from city development. And that actually did happen here as well. Our original Chinatown uh, was where Canada Place now stands. And it was essentially leveled and dissected into two to make way for that construction. And then more recently, um, out the LRT construction Goes right further yeah. across through that neighborhood. And so there's a feeling that these neighborhoods are maybe not preserved or valued in the same way that other heritage districts might be. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really interesting to hear that, that conversation and that these groups are trying to come together and sort of lean on each other for that advocacy work that needs to be done and ensuring that they have a voice mm-hmm. at the table. So, I mean, all of this focus, uh, the spotlight is certainly on them. Uh, there's uh, raised awareness. The resources are being poured in. But, I mean, realistically, how long do you think until we, we see some change in Chinatown? I don't think there's a magic number here. I think right. everyone I spoke to, no matter where they sit on the spectrum of the debate, uh, agree that real change is going to take time mm-hmm. and a real ongoing commitment from from everyone involved. Um, Mayor Amarjeet Sohi says, you know, after years of neglecting Chinatown, the city is now truly committed to revitalization. A big part of dealing with that for him is uh, housing first. And real consultation with Chinatown, meaningful consultation. Uh, Police Chief Dale McPhee says much the same, that patience will be required. He says there's chaos in the neighborhood and a strong criminal element that feeds off that sense of disorder. The sense of lawlessness that certain people feel as individuals, that's real. There's people that are scared. And when you lose that, then you lose business. What you have is the problem still continues to grow and then you lose the tax base and those people that are trying to thrive in those particular areas, it becomes a, twice as big a problem. And that's something that's been growing, obviously, in this city for several years. It was exposed, in my belief, through COVID. It wasn't created by COVID, and it just needs a different approach. And to me, and certainly us, our approach is we need to find the right partners to partner with this and obviously tackle it from all different angles. So McPhee says the homicides actually triggered a change in the way police will approach enforcement in the city's core, not just Chinatown. He says this new dispatch center that they're actually going to be building in Chinatown will see officers patrolling alongside social agencies. You know, enforcement alone is not the answer here is what he's saying, but that more supports are needed for the vulnerable populations there, that this is a collaborative approach. Mm -hmm. And there is a real sense of advocacy that the homicides have become this catalyst for change and this hopeful thought that it, that they will actually mean um, real concrete changes in the neighborhood. For people like Roman Lau, though, who have watched the neighborhood decline over the years and watched many governments fail to deliver on promises of revitalization, it, it's still difficult. He wants to see the neighborhood come alive again. Chinatown before is a, like a sightseeing from, from the condition. That's like a sightseeing. Or they come for try the Chinese feel the Chinese food, 
Chinese uh, festival, Chinese New Year, lion dance, firework, they, they all good for here. But right now, it's so big different than 20 years ago. Yeah, the, the China, I feel small and small. Uh, it's really sad. I hear that hesitation in his voice. I'm trying to be positive. Like he, he sounds worried. He, he, he is worried, and mm. I think he, he wants to be hopeful about the future, but businesses around him continue to close. People are leaving the neighborhood. Yeah. We've heard that more are planning to leave because they just feel like the situation is, is not sustainable. So he does worry about the future of Chinatown mm. and whether that sort of new generation or new blood is going to come in and help maybe revitalize the district when folks like him retire. Um, so it really does come back to this conversation around revitalization and is revitalization possible when business owners and their customers don't necessarily feel safe on the streets. And those fears about, you know, Chinatown disappearing, advocates here don't want it to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, there's a real sense that people are fighting for that change in, in Chinatown. For Han Leong, he says everyone in Edmonton needs to be invested, that this is not, quote, a Chinatown problem. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants everyone to be invested in this cultural district. I mean, of course, we know that there's a lot of social disorder, but I feel like the businesses have never had it harder because of the, the narrative that is being cast right now. That Chinatown is just absolutely not a place you want to go to. I mean, I think if you go to TripAdvisor, um, there's a blog there saying, you know, how Chinatown is just this black hole. That's unfair. And I, I think that story needs to needs to change. We need to be telling people that. We need to be sharing stories about these restaurants and, and these stores that, that if we don't support them today, they'll be gone tomorrow. It's such a complicated story about a, a, an important community. Wallace, uh, thank you for walking us through it. Thanks so much. All of these conversations about Chinatown has put this intense focus on it, right? And uh, But, I mean, this is a neighborhood where people live and work and celebrate and have for so many years. Absolutely, yeah. It's And those voices, I think, aren't always heard. So mm-hmm. this week, uh, I actually went for a snack. Nice. I walked up 97th Street. I met up with William Lau. Okay. He's in his early 30s, and he lives in Chinatown. He actually just moved there this summer. Um, made the cool. choice. Him and his partner are there. And it's a community that he's super active in and it's one that he really wants to see thrive sure he's part of a national foundation called act it's action chinese canadians together that's taking a look at disappearing and struggling chinatowns across the country so we took a walk around his neighborhood and william told me what it's been like to live play and of course eat there been a, a really, really valuable perspective to, to the neighborhood, trying to get a sense of, of why I'd want to live here and and how the amenities are and, and what life looks like here. Yeah. What I love is, unlike my partner, I like keeping an empty fridge. <laughs> <laughs> it stresses me out to have things going bad, so I like to buy what I need for like that day or for like a day or two, and then I like going downstairs to the grocery store again to restock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Things are always fresh. 
Um, so I really like that. I love going to the Edmonton Public Library, the Stanley Milner. And then, of course, like nowadays, when, whenever anybody wants to catch up, I say, yeah, let's go for food. <laughs> and I think that's one of the, the things I love as, say, a young professional living in Chinatown is since rent is a, a bit cheaper than, I, than, than you might find elsewhere, then I'm, I'm willing to go eat out more. And, and the good stuff is right nearby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like an Edmontonian, like born and yeah, raised born here? And yeah, born and raised, yeah. Yeah, born and raised. Uh, parents came in the 70s, in the 70s from Hong Kong. Um, and then, oh, yeah, grew up coming to Chinatown a lot. Um, and my mom is, she's a bit of a, a whiz at finding the good deals, as I'm sure many of our moms are. But there's a reason to go to each grocery store. Yeah. Right? Something's good and something's a better deal yeah. somewhere. The joy is in the journey, maybe then. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know, when I... When I become a parent one day, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll take on that challenge. But in the meantime, uh, convenience is, is yeah. important. Yeah. Like, you clearly love this place. You moved here. Is this where you kind of want to set up your roots, potentially raise a family one day? Under, <laughs> under discussion. <laughs> Some families would want their kids to grow up in the suburbs and, um, you know, in a certain type of environment, be, be close to good schools. And I think about what kind of experience I want my, my kids to have. Of course, safety is important. I want them to be safe. And, but I've never really not felt safe here for a very, very short stint of time after, after the, the murders. But yeah, that, that did not last. And I think there's a lot in here that I would want my kids to grow up with. But I'm only one of two in that discussion, so we'll see how that goes, too. <laughs> well, I'm curious what it's been like as someone who is such an impassioned like advocate for Chinatown. You love living here. You moved here. What it's just been like living here for the last year when there's been so many conversations? Well, that's one of the key reasons why I want to move in, because I wanted to, 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 to see things at a ground level. Um, I know it's really easy for folks living outside of Chinatown to, to still be really passionate um, and to still have a, a certain vision or an idea of how, how things should be but i think being on the ground here i can get a better sense of how tensions can build up mm. how you know not everything is is always pleasant yeah. and and how hard it can be sometimes to, to, to brush things off for i think for the business owners to be on the ground level right not in an apartment yeah. that storefront and ground level experience day in and day out you know that's even more amplified and magnified compared to what i'm what i'm seeing right exactly. And I think it's, it's really to, to help myself better understand this question of how can we thrive in coexistence with different communities, because it's such a diverse community. How do we leverage things like this, and, and how do we make these strengths? Don't know yet. Work in progress. Well, and that's part of a bigger question, too, that you're kind of answering. You're doing national work, talking about Chinatowns, because we're, we're not alone, maybe, in the weird position that we feel this community is in. Yeah, yeah, not not alone, um, but but at the same time, still very unique. Not alone in in, in the challenges we face, because many communities have faced those challenges, um, but very unique because of our current position at at this point in time. Also very unique because of how more complex issues are right now um, with vulnerable communities around around drugs um, and, and and addictions and. So I think there's, there's a, a lot of complexity that exists now that, other, that some other communities haven't had to face. Yeah. But I think, you know, being young and stupid, there's challenges that you just want to take on. And I think there's, there's a, a lot of people that, that are very passionate and want to take on these challenges too. And, and I think learning from 
other peers that have done amazing work in the community, like the team that's put together Chinatown Dining Week and Chinatown Greetings and, and some very, very inspirational campaigns. Um, my takeaway there is just start doing things. Yeah. Well, I mean, we literally just walked past the building for the Transformation Collaborative Society. So talk to me about that transformation. What do you think is next? What would you like to see? What do you think will help change the perception and the way people engage with Chinatown? First and foremost, um, we need to change some habits and change some attitudes. One is we want to show the business community, if it's successful, that, hey, people are willing to come down um, and overcome this perceived you know, lack of safety, even at night, um, if we give them good reason to. We haven't had crowds walk the streets of Chinatown in a while. And at least it'll be through efforts like that that we get a better sense of, of, of where Edmontonians are at. I'm so curious about changing people's perception because that's the hardest thing right and especially with the headlines we're seeing in the newspaper well, and it, <laughs> but there are facts of, of you know business people still feeling scared like yeah. those feelings are still very real yeah, but how do you go about connecting with people beyond these stories of really tragic and sometimes really scary stuff happening oh. that might be the million dollar question one but step at a time <laughs> <laughs> on one hand it's you know, I, and I get this from, from some of the elders in the community and, and some business owners. You know, it's, it's great to see us here want to help. Um, but I think we also have to be really aware of when we might be getting in the way or, or sometimes in, in some people's eyes even causing harm. And how I try to navigate that and, and interpret that is I, I'll try to focus on or taking small steps to to make a tangible difference and that's where i think you know whether it's being more intentional about you know eating here versus somewhere else living here versus somewhere else um whether it's choosing to throw a party or a banquet here or hosting a night market or next year hopefully doing tenant surveys and and doing a lot of the work that i feel just needs to be done and I, i think when we identify these gaps and things that need to be done and when we could just start working towards and bring others in to, to do the same, yeah, then hopefully we can build a bit of that foundation um, for a safer community. Hopefully with a bit higher traffic, um, that can start to turn around. Hopefully um, with a bit more traffic, there'll be a little bit more confidence from, from businesses to come in. Um, and hopefully with better data, we'll be able to develop in a, in a more conscious way that doesn't gentrify um, the community as well. So I think it's just a bunch of these, this groundwork and these, these baby steps that we need to take. Um, and we just can't be paralyzed and we can't be, we can't let ourselves stop and not do the work just because there's these issues at hand. This responsibility you're talking about is a big one. Does it ever feel really, I mean, I feel like that word heavy is overused, but... Yes and no, but I know it's not just me. There's like so many people here doing amazing things. There's a great community of, of artists. Um, there's a group of university students um, that have been coming out a lot, and high school students that have been coming out a lot to, to our cleanups, coming from uh, Lillian Osborne in the Southwest, um, and the, the university students that are helping the Chinese Benevolent Association with their succession planning. There's so many nodes of, of really meaningful engagement and great activity. How key is that youth engagement to bringing this new vision of Chinatown to life? Well, the, the engagement is not just important for the community, 
because there's so much to do and and and, <laughs> and and help is always appreciated and needed but there's so much to gain for youth whether we're born and raised here um, and might feel out of touch with our community and might not have had as, as deep of, uh, of a conversation as we would have liked with our parents the community and the aunties and uncles are perfect venue to get compliments on our broken <laughs> on our broken mother tongue almost anything that we think kids should learn but don't learn in school you can learn here there we go, there we go. what do you want people to know about chinatown people who maybe haven't spent a lot of time here in the last little bit it's so easy to just say come down it doesn't really work yeah it's easy to say come help us yeah there's one thing i would encourage people to do is to be curious bring a friend um they don't have to be chinese but if they do they might help <laughs> and and come visit in, in in chinatown dining week it'll be it'll be this january um it'll it'll be it'll be quite festive here as well lunar new year this year's uh, on january 22nd earlier than, than most years um and i just ask edmontonians to, to be curious and and come learn about this very unique uh, piece of, of of our history here in, here in edmonton um, and also leaned into how, how complex the issues here are in, the, are in, this, in this community. And, and for the, all the active citizens out there that want to better Edmonton, consider contributing a bit here. Yeah, what are your favorites? That one's really good. Pineapple bun. Pineapple bun? Okay. So pineapple bun is, is, of course, the crust. Right. right. And there's different fillings. Yeah. I got to get a couple because I'm going to feed men, so... <laughs> The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team this week is Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, and Olivia O. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonnieman. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm Mindarawal, and we want to again thank you, as always, for listening. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at theloop at cbc.ca, or you can get in touch with us via Twitter. I'm mm-hmm. at Mindariwal. Pretty straightforward. I'm at Naminab. Figure that one out. <laughs> Leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show and you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.